broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. That is Jordan. And that over there is Carlin. Today we're going to be tackling an older film. Um, I know we've we've been doing some films from the the, the uh, years of yore, yeah, we've, if you could say. Um, we've done stuff from the 40s, now we're moving on to the 50s. 1951, in fact, with yes. a little fo- film we like to call The African Queen. Yeah, and uh, Humphrey Bogart and Katherine Hepburn like to call it The African Queen as well. As did pretty much everyone involved. Pretty much everyone who watched <laughs> that movie liked to call it that. Yeah. Uh, so... This one is actually a fan choice. Uh, this one was selected by Chuck. Chuck Thank Durfee. you, fans. Thank yes. you. Chuck Durfee is a friend of mine who lives out in Colorado. We uh, we play games online every once in a while and um, catch up with life and everything. So he's a really awesome guy, and he has some really awesome movies on the list. He sent us a whole bunch more that we, we still have to work through. Um, and it's always great when fans send us extensive watching lists because yeah. that means that we don't have to work as hard to choose what what to watch so true i feel like at some point we might even just need to stop making our own choices making our own choices and, and just, just do like a whole long stint yeah, of just yeah. fan picks yeah because well i mean the thing is we i think we do a good job of picking fun movies and, and movies that we want to see but the movies that some of the people have recommended you guys are doing a great job of covering all the bases in terms of genres and styles and you know, age appropriateness and everything like that. Good so. stuff and garbage. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you, Ryan Harris, for submitting um, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yes, and if you haven't listened to that, just listen to it and don't worry about watching the movie. Yeah, don't. But anyway, um, I do need to apologize up front to everyone listening. I might maybe doing some throat clearing and maybe some coughing from time to time because it is allergy season and it is a bitch. Yes, if you will. We will try and make sure that um, we can edit that as best we can but sometimes it might slip by i typically do my editing the editing at like three in the morning so <laughs> so you're not paying 100 no, percent attention i've fallen asleep editing the podcast before we'll oh, just put it very back. good yes but anyway we're talking about the african queen yes so let's go ahead and cover the uh, netflix summary for this particular film the rough hewn captain of a broken down east african riverboat teams with a straight-laced missionary to take on a German gunboat during World War One, I. I didn't know like the the only German gunboat. That it was they had. yes, it was German gunboat. Germans only had one. What was it called? The Queen Lucia. Uh, Louisa. Louisa. I was close. So yeah, like we mentioned before, um, Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn uh, were, were the actor and actress in this movie. Which isn't Catherine Hepburn um, described sometimes as like an old school heartthrob. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Black and white was very kind to her. Uh, color, not so much, I'm going to be honest. Well, yes, and I, I think probably the aesthetics mm-hmm. of this movie, everybody was dirty in this movie. Yeah, so. but, I don't know, just like her facial structure to me was kind of odd. Um, I just, like I was looking at her throughout the film and just being like, well, isn't she supposed to be like a hottie? And I just, well, I'd, yeah. I'd pass. Well, I'd I mean, one of one of the one of the better movies for that is um, is bringing up Baby, where she's playing a very glamorous young lady who, um, through hijinks, winds up with a I think a leopard, interesting named named Baby. So it's it's a real funny screwball comedy. That sounds interesting. Yes. 
Well, I will say in the beginning of the African Queen, Catherine Hepburn is like done up. Yes. Because she's she is a hoity, hoity toity. Yes. Living the high life in Africa. Yes. Um, well, as much as she could. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So to start off the movie, um, this is. I like to think of the of the um, African Queen as a battle of the sexes. It's pretty much the entire plot of the movie right there. Is that, you know, there's there's a guy, there's a girl. They're diametrically opposed to each other in every way that you can think of. And then, you know, at the end of the movie, they fall in love. That's pretty much the plot of it. It's and, pretty simplistic. Yes. Um, Humphrey Bogart um, is in this movie. And he's been in a ton of other movies. Um, of course, the most famous being Casablanca, mm-hmm. um, and also the Maltese Falcon, which I think I like the Maltese Falcon just a hair better than Casablanca, uh, personally, but that's just because I have such an affinity to film noir. So, but it, you should, you should watch both of them. If you haven't seen both the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca, they're both amazing movies that everybody should see at least once. That's a recommendation for me, because I haven't seen either of them either. Uh, so. Carlin. We're going to have to have, like, the, we're going to have to have, like, the, 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 um, the classic movie double features. Hey, I'm, I'm interested. We can awesome. do it. Awesome. You heard it here first, people. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> okay, so, in my opinion, Humph- Humphrey Bogart was the best Part of the film, he was he was he was a more likable character than Hepburn's character, right? It, um, and his his name in the movie was Charlie Allnut. Yeah, I was like, that's kind of a ridiculous last name. Yes, but at the same time, it fits because he's a ridiculous type character. He's a drunkard who operates a riverboat. Essentially, it sounded like he had he had come to Africa to be a miner, and then he's like, you know what? Screw this! I can just. Coast on a boat for the rest of my life. And be drunk the whole time. And enjoy it, yes. It, I mean, in the beginning, too, it seems like he's having a hell of a time with it. Oh, yeah. Just loving life. You know, he's just drinking gin and just so merry. Gordon's gin, by the way. Yes. I don't know. Is that a good brand? It is brand name. I mean, nowadays, it's not necessarily good. It's not terrible, though. Back then, it was probably... Better. Better, yeah. So... Because you didn't have as much variety, there wasn't as much right attention put into getting and also tasty product. gin is gin is an odd drink of choice, just just for that kind of lifestyle as a boat captain in Africa. I guess you drink what you can get your hands on. Although I think at the time gin was considered to be a bit more high class of a um, liquor. Really, I mean, just when I think of gin, I just like eh. I I, I guess I, I think of the more prevalent drink being like whiskey or, or scotch or bur- you know bourbon that type of thing yeah but I think that that like whiskey and bourbon and stuff like that was kind of thought more of just like a straight up like man's drink and I think gin was a little more of top tier mm. you know what I mean like it's, it's the, the upper of, crust it's the drink of the more discriminating yeah riverboat man yeah you know because it was like cowboys were the ones drinking whiskey yeah it was just if you're a man and you want to go to the bar you're going to drink some whiskey yeah if you want, if you're a man and you want to smell like junipers, you drink gin. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, Catherine Hepburn's character, Rose Sayer, is diametrically opposed in that she thinks the gin, especially, is the worst thing in the world. Yeah, 
She yeah. uh, well the um, when She's when prude. Yeah, well I mean if you look at it for the time 1917 1918 around that time frame. Um, I don't. Do they really give an actual time for the movie to be taking place? <sighs> no, I don't think so. No, it's World War One. So I mean, that's pick, like a good, pick any year in there. Yeah, four or five year span there. Um, and she's she's a Methodist minister, and of course Methodists. Well, actually, never mind. Hold on a second. I I believe it was at the very beginning of World War One because um, Catherine Hepburn's character and her her brother in it. Uh, were very surprised by the start of the war. They, right. They didn't know. So it must have been within the first year, I would assume, because they get news from Allnut saying that a war has broken out yeah. in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're like, oh my gosh. So it must have been within the first year. So, whatever year. I, my my history is failing me. <laughs> I, I was never never really into World War I. Um, I don't think anyone was really into it. Well, you, you know what I mean. Like, if you ever watch the History Channel, it's all about World War II. It should just be named How the Nazis Tried to Take Over Europe Channel. You know, because that, that's pretty much all they talk about. Um, but with, with, with World War I, you know, it's, it's a little bit more nebulous. They don't really know why. I mean, the, the, the reasons for fighting were much more complicated because it involved the assassination of an Austrian prince... Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on there. Um, just so you know, I just looked it up real quick. Uh, World War One was nineteen fourteen to nineteen nineteen, so I would assume that it was nineteen fourteen that this film was supposed to take place. Right, and um, and so met like her, a Rosayer and her <coughs> brother, um, who by the way is actually her brother. Brother is not necessarily a a religious title in this movie. And in the beginning, I. Was having a hard time figuring that out. Yeah. Um, and actually, I you know, when Jordan showed up for recording, I asked him because I still wasn't 100% sure. Yeah. Uh, because they do make it very clear that this is a religious setting. Yes. And so she's just calling him brother, and I'm kind of like, she's not really treating him like a biological brother. Well, necessarily, like you can't see anything distinguishing it. They don't hug each other. They don't really seem to have an affection towards each other that family members would. It's it's very ambiguous. And also that that time frame, um, it's it's just post Victorian. You know, and the Victorians were not very well known and the Edwardians and everything were not very well known for um, showing affection between the different genders. You know, men had manly things that they did and women had womenly things that they did. You know, and so the idea that a brother and sister would not be physically affectionate like hug each other or you know what you would normally do with with your siblings or I with mine that's not something that they would do on a regular basis in that time frame um but they were they were an interesting couple um the two of them they had they had gone off into the Congo and had decided to make themselves like a very British town out of palm leaves I believe they're in Tanzania. Tanzania? In there. Um, and I say that because I actually looked up the information on the, the main river that it takes place on, the Ulanga. Yeah. Um, so, actually, if this is a good... This is a great place to, just, to talk about that. So, uh, the river that, that Allnut, Charlie Allnut, is navigating throughout his life, you know, drinking booze and just floating lazily on the water, uh, it's the Ulanga River, so I decided to look up some info. 
It's also known as the Kilimbaro wow. River. That's, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, it starts in uh, southwest Tanzania on the eastern slope of the East African Rift, uh, and it flows northeast into the Rufiji River and then to the Indian Ocean. Mm. Um, and originally it was found because it was uh, an alternate route to the, uh, the I'm sorry, the Kahansi which had uh, sharp curves in it and narrow channels, and it was obstructed a lot by hippopotami. And it, anyone who knows hippopotami yeah. are very, very dangerous. Yeah, and so. it's not a good idea to run your boat into them. Right. I mean, and you see some of them yeah. in this film when they're on the river. That was actually a funnier part of the movie. Yeah. But um, but they've they've gone they've gone into the to the deepest darkest parts of Africa to start a, essentially a church, um, and you know they've got people there and it, it, it's really they're doing all the missionary things wrong essentially seems like it yeah you know um it, no, you're a loss for words on this one it's kind of eating at you isn't it we've t- I've, I've mentioned before that i'm a I, I am a person of faith so this bugs me that the hell out, and I I don't know how to say things without sounding really offended about you know people that could have been doing trying to do well but were failing. Well, we, and then trying not to offend Carlin. So, what you have to consider is that this is this film was done in 1951. Right, it was a very different time back then. Yes. I mean, you have to consider that um, so the um, civil rights movement hadn't even happened at this juncture. So, things were seen through a very different lens. No pun intended. Actually, it was seen through a color lens. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because they they actually packed color cameras and carted it up into Africa. Um, which was one of the, the better parts of the movie. But the, the whole thing about the, the way that the, the church was set up was that it was set up in a very... Um, English style with the pews and the and the and the um, the platform in the front of the church and they were trying to teach them how to sing um, what's the hymn grant us wisdom grant us courage I'm not gonna be able to tell yeah you're not gonna be able to tell me it's it's been a long (laughs) time since it's been a long time since I've attended a church that only exclusively sings hymns so I can't remember either but you know it's like the thing is, culturally, you, if you're going to try and tell anybody something that's that's new and interesting, you've got to frame it in the culture. Uh, you've got to frame it in, in the ideas of their culture for them to be able to understand it. So all of these people are, are like they have the whole the whole place packed out, and they're just kind of like they're just kind of making noises because they don't know what the the crazy English people want them to do. Well, I mean, this was still you know in 1951, still the time of rampant imperialism where it was kind of like we're coming over here we're going to do some things for you so you need to act exactly the way we want you to yeah. no exceptions we don't and there was there's never any um sensitivity to people's cultural differences over right. time we've definitely changed that well and i then, would like to think that that you know some well some something that them my denomination stresses, which was, uh, ironically enough, an offshoot of 
the people in the movies. The, right. Overall, we weren't we're in the same umbrella. Um, it it my particular denomination very much stresses racial equality and and gender equality. You know, so it's something where we try very hard to reach out to other people and meet them where they are and talk to them in the culture, in the community that they can understand. So, I mean, seeing seeing older, and I, I hate to take up this much of the podcast with it, but it was, it was, it's something that really bothered me about the movie and really actually took off a couple stars. Um, but, and, th- and this is a struggle that I have as well when I'm watching these older films, is you have to put yourself in the mindset of what was going on right. at the time that this was and made, I'll, how was the culture, because... It's always going to change. And films coming out now that are quote-unquote tolerant or intolerant can be seen differently in 10, 20 years. Oh, it, well, and the thing is that if we think right now that we have it all figured out in terms of where society is supposed to be, in 75 years, America is going to look like a completely different country than what we think it is going, that it should be right now. But and also, they're going to they're look at us right. like we're antiquated barbarians because... Oh dear God! You hadn't figured out virtual reality yet, you yeah. know, or whatever. And it is. I will, I will say to you on the the comment of where society's supposed to be. There's really no supposed to be. It's what you want it to be, right? And a, as a group, right? But a lot of people seem, I I don't know. I just seem to see a lot of the ideas being our society is so much more enlightened than it was 60 years ago, 100 years ago, however much it was. When reality, we're not. It's just right. that we're looking at things slightly differently. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, there's well, that. I will say, it, this is a very secluded place in the film, and they do a very good job of setting that up uh, with the film because in the beginning when they're running the credits... I liked this part. Yes, it was just a bunch of jungle noises, you know, hearing birds and, and, and monkeys making noises and you're just slowly meandering with the camera through a dense jungle. Yeah. And it's just, just like as the, the credits roll. And it just really makes you feel like it's a very slow trip through a very dense forest with thick um, natural noises. So you, you get the sense that it's a long journey through nature to where they are. And then humans mess it up. And I thought, well, yes, but... <laughs> But I thought it was an excellent way to start it. I, I liked that. I, I overall, I liked the directing of the movie. John Huston did a very good job. It was a very well put together movie, and um, uh, they did a great job of mixing for the time the technology that they they had for special effects with shots of of in on location, and it, it just worked really well in a lot of ways. I agree with that, <laughs> um, and I guess this is a good time to point out that John Huston who was the director, he is he has always been a writer, actor, director, um, but he adapted the um, a novel to screen for this. Yeah. And with the help of James Agee, who was a Pulitzer Prize winner, actually, um, and the base material that they used was, was the book, I believe, of the same name, a novel by C.S. Forrester, who on IMDb has... 27 movie and TV credits to his name. Yeah, he was a good. he was a very popular writer for in the 50s, the 40s, 50s, 60s, and I'm sure in a lot of American English classes, American literature classes, he's he's brought up quite a bit. I was actually considering like seeing if I could track down the book to read um, before the podcast. But That's I, ambitious. 
Well, I've done it before. I just wow. I haven't had the opportunity. Um, this All week. I can muster is like watching two episodes of My Little Pony before we did the Bronies <laughs> episode. <laughs> but still, I mean, that's that's more research than I had the opportunity to do for that. I did find out about the Ulanga River. So you did. Good I, on me. I, I'm very impressed with that. Um, yes, be impressed. I, yeah, <laughs> I am. You impress me in so many ways, Carlin. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, now that we've done the Mutual Admiration Society portion of the show. Um, really, I mean, it's it's funny to see how the the Sayers siblings, the brother and sister, they, they don't, not only do they treat the Africans poorly in the movie, but they also treat this Mr. Allnut pretty poorly as well in the beginning of the film. Yeah, there's a very palpable air of... We are so much better than you when they first meet him because he comes up on his boat in the river, gets out, and is basically like, hey, I have mail for you. Here's your mail. So they invite him in to their abode. It's a, Yeah, it's it's a pretty nice little bungalow, yeah. all things considered. It looks nice. and Yeah, and that's the thing. You, you definitely get a sense that they're living well for where they are. Um, so they're at a table. They're having some tea. And Allnut's stomach keeps grumbling very loudly. Yeah. And where you would assume that a person would react and be like, oh my gosh, are you hungry? Yeah. Can we get you some food? They're just looking at each other and looking at him. Like, how dare you How dare you interrupt our high tea time? Exactly. Where you can only have a piece of bread with butter. Yes. You know. Extremely annoyed with him. Yeah. Like, ugh, you disgusting underling. What are yeah. you doing? And he and he and the thing is, you can tell that Allnut is is really he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, it's it's very awkward for him. Yeah, and especially when his stomach keeps making all this noise, and he knows from the response he's getting that he's not going to get any food out of it. Right. Um. So it it, it makes it more awkward. And, and the que- the question is, what did he even have to eat on that boat? Because I mean, I don't okay, see anything. I I don't see anything either. It's it's like he subsists on gin alone. <laughs> I don't know if gin and water, I mean, maybe you can. Yeah, I guess, well, I mean, the gin... The, the gin al- has some water, obviously, but the well, alcohol the, dry you up a bit, so he'd have to have regular water, too. But he can mix the alcohol with the river water, and it would kill the oh, bacteria. That's disgusting. I'm sorry, I mean, that's... No, I'm I know, just, I'm I know. thinking, how, how does this actually work? Oh, hippopotamus crap. <laughs> mm. Sure is mm. a lot of that. Crocodile poo. Yeah, you saw a bunch of those in there too. Yeah, oh, that's another. I wanted to talk about that. the The movie did a really fantastic job of showcasing Africa. You know, with the animals. And... Uh, you know, I was actually thinking the total opposite. Really? I thought it did a terrible job. Well, because the majority of the film is just on some nondescript river, which you you could be anywhere. Yes, you could. And you could be, a, and I wrote that down in my notes. You could be a million different places on planet Earth, and it would look exactly the same. So it's very nondescript. And he even says at the end of the film, shot in Africa, and and they named some studio in the UK. The the actual river rapid scenes were, were deemed too unsafe to perform in Africa, so they brought them back to understandable the, to. To, to the tanks in, in uh, England to actually do that. But the interesting thing is, um, at the end of the movie, they're, they're going through reeds and everything. That's actually filmed in Turkey. Perfect. Not even mentioned. But the thing, what I mean in that they did a good job in showcasing Africa is there's a ton of wildlife that you see in the movie. 
you know, just crocodile slithering in there. You see some lions. You see, you know, essentially yeah. everything, all the high notes of, of the African menagerie that you would expect to see in an African movie. You do get to see that. I can give you that, but I just think the majority of the film, you're just kind of I mean, floating on a, on a boat on a nondescript river yeah. where you don't really see anything. A river in a tropical climate just looks like a river in a tropical climate. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could even argue at a lot of the points that it doesn't even necessarily look tropical. It's very arid. Yeah. Very arid. Doesn't doesn't matter where you are. No. Now, what, what did you think about, like, the Germans in the movie? Well, first of all, I thought it was a little weird that this was this was filmed and made right after World War Two, basically. Yeah, nineteen fifty one. Yeah. And so they're like, let's use World War One as material. So, <coughs> excuse me. So I don't understand why wouldn't you just use World War Two somehow for the backdrop of the story you're trying to tell? Um, it seemed to me like. Maybe it was like, World War II is too fresh. People are very still upset about it. Uh, you don't want to tear that scab off. Yeah. So how can we make the Germans look like the villains again? Oh yeah, they were the villains to us in World War One, Which, I would argue, the United States was actually on the wrong side in World War I. Um, and the Germans were on the right side. And... God, it's 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 such a problem because it, it gets me thinking then because I'm then I'm like, and had World War One not happened, then there obviously would have would been no been World, World War Two. Yeah, exactly. But that's because of the climate that it created with the expansive reparations that um, Germany had to pay, and then it tanked their economy, and then yeah. everyone's living in, you know, they're all destitute, and then that created the perfect climate for Hitler to take power. When had World War One not happened. Hitler probably never even would have been considered as a political figure. He would have he would have just been a failed artist who was working at a bank somewhere and being angry. Exactly. So it just gets me thinking whenever these things come up. You know, and it, it, it it's it's interesting. You know, the the way that the Germans are treated. I kind of thought of it as the Mash effect, because Mash was was a TV show that was on uh, <laughs> during world um, the Vietnam War. Right. But. You know, rather than having it be ex exact political commentary on the Vietnam War, they actually had it set, MASH, the TV show, was set in the Korean War. Yeah. You know, so they were using a similar backdrop and everything like that to tell a story that was essentially anti-war. Right. You know, but they were doing it in a... Um, in a in a way that people could relate to better than if you were showing because I mean Mash was a fairly divisive TV show in and of itself at the time and then showing Mash during the Vietnam during like if it had been Vietnam rather than Korea then that would have been hit too close to home and that show probably would have been canceled right away so, but also another thing I think about it was we haven't looked at the source material for the actual book right and I do believe that the book was based in World War One right. So it might have just been something that they were trying to use the same uh, cultural time frame. Sometimes, sometimes movies update the story from the book to match modern times, but a lot of times they'll leave it the same. So the, the yeah. So your question about the German yes. the use of the Germans in the film. <laughs> um, no redeeming qualities for the Germans. Oh. Um, they're just mindless. Hate mongers. Let me twirl my mustache and shoot at you, yeah. or have 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 the the black men shoot at you. 
Yeah, it was so ridiculous because at one point they're floating down the river and then they're just like, oh, get down, there's some Germans. Mm -hmm. And the Germans just like look and they're like, ha, there's a boat, shoot it. Yeah. It's not... Should we shall we go figure out what this boat is? Right. You know, it doesn't at all look like it's a threat. It's obvious it's not a threat. They have binoculars; they can see the boat, and they should be able to tell it's not an actual threat. That, but their yeah. their immediate reaction is, yeah, just just kill anyone just on shoot there. It. And well, the thing is, the African Queen is a pretty ramshackle boat. I mean, um, all all nut is really great at drinking gin and oh, yeah. laughing it up with. With monkeys and everything, but he's he doesn't seem to be all that that ship shape when it comes to actual boat repair. No, well, well, he he gets he, uh, savvy when I think he, when he has to. I think he lacks the confidence, but Catherine Hepburn's character Rose beats the confidence into him. Well, guilts it into him basically. Well, no, I think she, I think she she shames it into him more essentially because she's just like, oh, you you can do it, you. What are you saying? You can't well, do you know, it for the, the thing was that the, this whole incident with them getting shot at actually kind of cements their relationship a yeah. little bit because for the for most of the movie up to this point, they kind of hate each other to the point where where Rose pours out Charlie's boots yeah. and then Charlie has some real withdrawal problems because yeah. of it. Well, the funny thing about that though is she dumps it out and then. The next scene is him shaving. Yeah. So it's like as soon as the booze is gone, all of a sudden he's straight laced. Yeah, and he's, cleaned he's up. cleaning up and he's like, good. "Oh man, thanks for getting rid of that booze for me. Now I can function in life." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was such an immediate switch. Yeah. It was just a switch flip. Really well, and like the thing that. is though that once he starts <laughs> cleaning up his act, she refuses to talk to him because she's essentially convinced him to go on this cockamamie scheme to blow up the uh, the the queen. Louisa? Uh, yeah. I think they just called the Louisa. Yeah, the Louisa. I mean, she she's decided that, oh, you've got some oxygen tanks here, and you've got some uh, some blasting caps left over from the... Yeah, it was ridiculous, because she's like, oh, you have these, these components. Can you make a torpedo? Yeah. And he's like, oh, what? Yeah. Like, it was really insane. And honestly, at that point, I was just like, first of all, where does she get off just being like this? Second of all, where does he get off just being entertaining these ideas with her and then just being like, yeah, okay. Like, he's so weak-willed, it's ridiculous. Well, I think I think the thing is, he he really doesn't want to do it. He thinks he can get out of it somehow. But he doesn't also want to pick a fight with her. Which I don't understand because, you know, he runs that boat. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Like, that's his world. So to- I, I, I think what he should have been doing is being like, look, I will get us out of here. That's what I'm doing. I'm not building torpedoes. You're crazy. Um, I'm, I'm not going all the way down three sets of rapids to be shot at and have the bottom of my boat essentially de- decimated. Yeah. Just to then blow it up because you you want to stick a black eye and like call, give the Germans a black eye. Which she just wants to do because they they inadvertently killed her brother. Yes. It wasn't like they didn't shoot him or anything. They actually hit him in the head thinking they were just going to knock him out, but his head injury actually ended up killing him. Yeah. Eventually. But the crazy thing to me is that Charlie is... He's not even arguing with her. Like, she'll say, this is what I want to do, or this is what we should do, and he'll make a smart-ass comment about it, and, and then be like, it. yep, that's exactly what we're going to do. You know, I, I just... It, that, that character doesn't make sense to me like that. 
You know, he got he has to have some sort of stick to itness or some sort of balls to yeah. to <laughs> to captain a boat. I mean, granted, we were just talking about how he was really pretty much just drinking and lazily yeah. going up and down the boat. But you have to you have to have some sort of command over it, and you have to have the resources and the knowledge to actually m- navigate the river. Yeah, and then you let some um, landlubber. Yeah, some landlubber. Not. I was gonna say some, some uh, holier than thou, pinky in the air while drinking tea. Lady, come on and just be like, I'm gonna tell you what to do on this boat, even though I know absolutely nothing about boats. Well, yes, because one, and he accepts it. Well, the thing is, like, like we talked about, um, she. It's a pretty classist movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also he's Canadian. Okay. <laughs> Not to offend any Canadian listeners, but there is a stereotype. <laughs> a little more passive. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know. So. Well, was he maybe just enamored with her beauty? I don't quote unquote beauty. Not at the beginning of the movie. I think he actually kind of hated her. Yeah, yeah, you're right on that. But you know, you had made a comment about how their love started blossoming after they've been shot at right. and survived that. I think that's actually something that just kind of naturally happens with people. If you go through a life or death situation, yeah, it doesn't necessarily create a love connection, but it creates a bond between yeah. two people. Well, and also the thing is, when you're stuck on a little boat, a 30-foot long boat with only one other person, you know, and then, you know, like you say, you create a bond, it's very easy for that to go from Oh yeah, this person is special, and I'm I'm with them, and I I'm essentially living several like a, at least a month of my life with these people. To then, I'm in love with this person. This is the yeah. only person for me. I mean, uh, it's a hormone thing. Yeah, it was kind of weird to me how fast um, Charlie started talking about having grandchildren. With yeah, her. they're like, we'll tell our grandchildren about this, and I was just like, whoa. Yeah, it's like this it's is like, really quick that, sl- that this talk happened. Right. Slow your roll, buddy. Slow like, your do you, roll. Do you, are you going crazy on the river? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. I mean, I do feel like the relationship thing was forced a little quick. Maybe they should they could have had a few smaller things yeah, in over. there a little bit earlier to kind of flesh out that they're starting to have feelings. It was kind of like boom. Yeah. Feelings it, turned on. Feelings turned on and then we're it's like we're all we all we love each other for the rest of the movie. It's mm-hmm. like nothing, nothing, nothing. Hormones go. Right. And, and, you know, that that part of it got really kind of crazy because there's this point where they stop for a little while and they're like, this is the most beautiful place in the world. I love this place. We should just stay here. And he's trying to convince her to go on to complete the mission. Um, and, and she's trying to convince him to go on. They're essentially both, neither of them at this point actually want to, to go on with the screwball, blow up the, the, the U-boat. The gunboat uh, idea, but they both feel obligated to to keep the other one's expectations up. You know, it, it, at that point, it was just like, just realize it was a stupid idea and move on. <laughs> yeah, I know. But something tells me she's never she's never abandoned wrong. an idea in her life. Exactly, that's one of the things. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that she. It seems like. Rose is be- becoming a wilder individual as Allnut is becoming a tamer individual. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a drunk, he just, like, does whatever, he's dirty, and then he becomes clean-shaven, he stops drinking. 
versus she's like so hoity-toity and then she starts getting dirty. She finds a thrill in what's going on. She really likes going down the rapids. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. The rapids, she actually equated to a religious experience. Yeah. Which was a a definite moment that signaled to me, oh, she's she's really changing as, as a character in this. Yeah. Film. Well, and it also just indicates how sheltered her life has been. Yeah. Even though, even though she's living in the middle of Africa, essentially thinking that she's spreading the gospel to the savages of Africa, she her life is still very, very sheltered. Yes. You know? And it's kind of like, this is an awakening to her. She's yeah. like, oh my gosh, I didn't know life could be exciting and dangerous. And yeah. here's this dirty-ass man. <laughs> this dirty-ass manly man. <laughs> Get out there and fix that boat all nut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. There... Let's talk about the boat repairs. Like when, those were some of the best scenes, in my opinion. I got, I don't know. I mean, to me, that the amount of technology that he had to whip together to get that done seemed a little far fetched for where they were in terms of you know because they to get the fire hot enough and everything like that. Um, I, I don't know if they really could have done it. That did seem far fetched, but so did creating torpedoes. Yes, so, I, I guess when you set the big, bar, big when time. you when you set the bar of things that can rea- realistically happen, to I'm going to make a, a torpedo out of an air tank, and that torpedo idea is within like the first 15 minutes, like yeah. it's very early on, so you know that ridiculous things can I, happen. I, I guess all cards are on the table once you can do that. So if anyone in life asks you to make a torpedo out of something. Just know that it's going to get more ridiculous in your life. Uh, you know what? I might be willing to take on that ridiculousness. <laughs> just to see where it just goes. Just to see where it goes. You you want to ride the rapids uh, <laughs> to have that experience. I just want to see what the rapids look like. You know, because uh, it, it it's a, a, an experience. And there is something very valid that the movie says about experiencing life in a way that you didn't expect before and to be open about what can come along and, and, and surprise you yeah you know um now it also says a lot about people's preconceptions you know and, and how you know preconceptions can lead to um a very negative worldview and also you know a poor treatment of others and the decision to blow up ridiculous things but i think also it, it shows that having no ambition in life can lead to just a pretty... A pretty rotten life. Uh, yeah, a, a r- ridiculously dumb existence. Yeah. Because that's what they what they show in All Night, basically. Like, he's just drinking and, and floating. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much it. You might as well be a piece of driftwood. I mean, there are times in life when sometimes you need that. Just to get away from everything and... Well, that's watching movies. Recharging, yeah, it is. Unless you're watching them for reviewing purposes, and then that's a lot of work. Yeah, and I will say that there are times where I watch movies and I'll drink a beer or two while I'm watching, but never for this podcast. Yeah, never. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I, you gotta pay attention. You gotta pay attention, and you gotta look at every little thing and see what makes a difference in the story and what doesn't. And you know, sometimes, sometimes, like. It's ruined me for watching movies because, like, my friends invite me over and they're, like, trying to, we're trying to watch a movie together. And I'm like, quiet. I'm, I'm trying to see what's actually happening. <laughs> and they're like, I want to talk. That's why when you're with friends, you watch t- movies you know that are terrible. Horrible. 
Yeah. That's what I do. But then, but the, the horrible thing is, I look over my friend's movie collections and I say, well, look, you've got this classic movie that I haven't seen. Let's watch this. Yeah. It's tough. Um, getting back to the film. Yes. I will say, at a juncture in the film, I totally forgot that they even had a point of trying to get to the Louisa and sink it. Because it, they spend so much time just drifting down the river and having to deal with issue after issue just to stay alive. Yeah. That to me, the focus just became staying alive. And I 100% forgot that they had this goal. I thought, you know, I thought the goal had really just shifted to stay alive. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, let's torpedo something. It's like, oh, that was part of the movie. Now that we made it and we're still alive, let's kill ourselves by torpedoing and I love how they're like trying to talk each other out of the idea of like both of them being on this torpedo suicide run it's like you don't have to die no you don't have to die well then we should both die we should die together yeah whatever so romantic yeah so romantic so romantic it fails yeah yeah it does and because because they don't take into effect oh it could like really torrentially rain now um there, and but before they get to that, there are some interesting like little side problems that you're like you, you were talking about man versus wild. I mean the leeches and the mosquitoes and yeah. you know the the mud that they ground grind the boat and ground the boat on. Um, that's all really cool and actually more interesting than the whole let's torpedo the Louisa. Yeah, that's probably part of the reason that I forgot that they had this yeah. end goal because. The adventure is what's interesting. Yeah. And that's truly what was going on. They were having an adventure as they were going down the river. And I, you know, I know that Rose felt the same way because, you know, her excitement got so ramped up and she got so, you know, just drawn into the adventure of everything and experiencing life finally. Yeah. As opposed to just being, hanging out. Trying to control life. Yeah. Because there's a big difference between living life and trying to control life. Yeah, and I think I think Charlie was someone who was just letting life push him along, and Rose was someone who was trying to control life. And they actually had to actually come to understand each other before they could enjoy life as it as it moved them as they moved along. Which is kind of how they enjoyed the river because there were parts of the river where where Charlie's like uh, crouched on the bow like. Making fun of the hippos and the alligators and crocodiles and everything like that. I think they're technically crocodiles, not alligators. So yeah. Um, so and that part of the movie was a little ridiculous, but it was also fun because it was a nice moment of them just enjoying nature. True. But then they were frightened by nature. But then they were frightened by nature just around the corner. Right. And this is yet another film because there's so many films that just focuses on nature will kill you. Yes. And, you know, I understand because it can kill you, but at the same time, how are we better than nature? You know what I mean? Like, it just gives an inherent aspect of we're better than nature and nature's out to get us, not we're living with nature and sometimes, you know, things just happen. I mean, the thing is... When you live in the city or you live in the a very settled area like we do, um, we're we're not in the major we're not in the Baltimore city proper, but we're still in a very heavily developed part of the 
part of the um, the state, you know, you, you can forget, you know, how beautiful seeing the stars are because everything right. is just smudged out by light, yeah. you know. So so it's interesting. Um, I think it was Cracked.com that had this video that talked about how horror movies will reflect what you're afraid of. So for like Brit in British horror movies, a lot of it happens in the city. A lot of their horror stories are stories of Jack the Ripper, Spring Hill Jack, all of these things that are in the city that are going to kill you because everybody is smashed together. Whereas here in the United States, horror stories are you go off into the woods by yourself and you get massacred. Yeah. You know, so we're afraid of not being grouped in close to each other. Where the security is. Where the security is in numbers, whereas the British are afraid of, you know, the horrors of the, the monstrous humanity all smashed into one tiny location. That's a good point. And in a movie like The African Queen, it really just demonizes nature. And there's a lot of films like that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of man versus wild films. I mean, like Anaconda. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And Anacondas. And Anacondas and snakes on a plane. And, but also, I think, like, Godzilla is another type of movie franchise that's like that. You know, where they're, yeah. they're talking about how nature... Well, I think, really, Godzilla is talking about how our... Nature is responding... Is re we're reaping the consequences of what we've done to nature. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's more of a, a human agency involved with, with the Godzilla thing versus something like the African Queen where it's just kind of like nature not touched by man right. is so dangerous. So, it's so out to get you. Yeah. Now we need to review Godzilla. <laughs> Uh, I don't really think there's much to review. Giant lizard. Giant lizard stomps. smashes Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, Go. Stomps on stuff. Yeah. Some people yell. End of movie. Wow, well, there we go. <laughs> Congratulations, folks. You got two movie reviews in one podcast. Yeah, the review within the review. If we do one more, it's Inception. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, um, back on subject with... Yes. In the end, they achieve their goal... By accident. By accident. Well, I mean, you could argue with the help of God. Okay. Yeah. Because there is... I, I will let you make this make this <laughs> argument. Yeah, I'm the perfect person to do it. Um, at one juncture, there is... You talked about it. They get stuck in the mud. Yes. And they kind of totally give up. And they're yeah. like, there's no way. We're not going to make it. And does... I'm kind of confused about it, so help me out. Does Rose pray? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wasn't 100% sure. So she prays, and then that night, they've just kind of reserved themselves to just be, to not die. being able to go anywhere, yeah. and they're just going to die there. And they wake up, and they're in a different place, because it rained, and it swelled the water so much that it moved them over the mud. Yes, which kind of... Which was great from a storytelling perspective, but I was kind of frustrated that there wasn't a ton of water in the boat. Right. You know, but but anyway. But that that was God, too. Of course. God was like, rain all around, but not in the boat. <laughs> and now we're talking about Noah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it was interesting because Allnut's immediate reaction is, you know, oh, the rain. You yeah. Know? 
And she didn't, you know, Rose didn't say anything, but it was, it happened immediately after she was praying. So, you know, it, it is yeah. insinuating that God intervened and was just like, ah, here you go. I shall carry you over the mud. And they make it. So then I think it can also be read into that God blows up the Louisa. Yeah, I was, uh, uh, by dint of that, you're saying that God is anti-German. Of course. Why wouldn't he be? Well, I guess, you know, for the time, that would make perfect sense. Well, uh, for, for any... It, it, that's common. You know, everybody believes that whatever deity is on their side. You know, there's, there's a good movie that's in There's a good movie that's a good example, and it's called Gods and Generals. And it was a follow-up to Getty, the movie Gettysburg. And it basically shows how during the Civil War, uh, both the North and the South were like, God is on our side, God is on our yeah. side. And you see all this God talk on both sides about he's going to guide us to victory, and only one side wins in each battle. So uh, it's, it's like, I enjoy sports. You know, most people in America enjoy one sport or another. Um, but I'm never going to say that God is on the side of my team. A lot you, of people a do. A lot though. of people do. And a lot of people are ridiculous for doing that because there are people on both teams who have the same religious beliefs and right. are doing the same thing. Right. Honestly, God doesn't care about sports. <laughs> one way or another. Now, does God. I would hope that's the case. <laughs> does God care about war in some instances? Probably. It, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here to make that kind of statement because my belief is that <coughs> I should live out my faith in a way where other people see that, not in a way that forces other people to believe the same way that I do. You know, and that's a big difference in in, in what you're going to do. Because if you're going to if you're going to say that the message of the movie is that God caused them to blow up the Germans, then I don't know if I could. Except a god like that, right? You know, but that's alluded to. That that is alluded to, and and, and it's. Do you see why I have such problems with this movie as a person <laughs> no, of faith? That's fine. I, yes, I do, and and that's totally valid. Yeah. But basically, what happens is they they get caught. The Germans are I interrogating them, and they're like, "Okay, well, we're just gonna kill you guys." Yeah. <laughs> the Germans are great because they're like, "What are you doing? I was fishing." No, you weren't. What were you doing? I was fishing. Okay, well, we're going to kill you. I told you I was fishing. Well, of course, they're just going to kill anyone they're, because... They're Germans. Well, you saw earlier, boat, shoot it. We don't even know if there's people on it. That was the other thing. They didn't even know if there were people because they were hiding. Yeah. So they're like, just shoot anything. Yeah, just... And it's it's fun to shoot things. We're Germans. It's fun to shoot things. I so guess. let's do it. So, yeah, so they're, they're going to be killed, but they, they're okay with the fact that they're going to die because they're going to die together. Yes. And, and, and this is the one thing that the Germans do that's kind of ridiculous, but touching at the same time. Uh, Allnut says to the captain, hey, this is only going to take a minute, and you're, you're going to kill us anyway, so what does it matter? Would you mind just letting us say our, say our wedding vows and, and then die as a married couple? He's like, fine, whatever. He's like, which was, you know a little bit more merciful than I was expecting from the Germans considering that they sh shoot up everything that they see. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So that little bit of time that's bought yeah. is enough time for the Louisa to um, travel far enough that the almost fully sunken um, African, uh, queen. African queen hits the side of the boat and blows the thing up. 
And, and I love it, because you see all the sailors running around, like, trying to get off the boat. One of them grabs a cat and just flings the cat <laughs> off the boat. Did you see that? No, I didn't notice that, but that is so asinine. It was hilarious. It's just like a for no reason, like, hidden, hidden gem. I'm sorry, as I'm talking, it's... I'm, it's like all the I'm, I'm becoming more sinusy and... Sorry. No, that's cool. That's cool. But, um... And so, so the Louisa blows up, and, and they're floating there. Um, they manage to, to escape death by slipping all the nooses off of their necks and just jumping overboard. Um, and fortunately, they jumped overboard on the side that didn't that didn't blow up. Although they jumped, this is odd to me. They, they instead of jumping over to the side where the ship was not, like not falling down, they jumped where it was falling down because I would think that you would want to go in the opposite direction so you don't right. get smashed by the boat but if you're on top of it and you can time it well enough I guess when when the highest point's about to hit you can jump off like push off from it I don't think they were thinking like that but, no you know. <laughs> I don't think I would think like that in a time of trauma either but no um so they they get off of the boat you know they're in the water and and they lived and it's insinuated that basically everyone's dead but those two. Yeah. And they're so happy and they're like, oh. We're married now. So nice how that just worked out. Yeah. You know, the the boat destroyed the, the, the Louisa, we're married, and we're alive when we thought we were just about to die. So how can things get any better? Now they've got to swim all the way to Kenya. Yeah, but the, they don't even talk about that. Right. It's just kind of like, we'll just end it there. But what they don't tell you is... They then just got eaten by crocodiles. Right, exactly. Like, immediately. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're, like, swimming in an African lake that's infested with crocodiles. What are you expecting? Yeah. It's like, oh, look, noms. They're swimming by nom, 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 nom. And that's kind of... It just makes me think of how funny it is, how... Where you decide to end it. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a happy ending if you decide to end it there. But if you wait 20 minutes later when they die, when the crocodile eats them, well, there's... Well, yeah. it was all for nothing. Or the hippopotamus gores them. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? I mean, there, there's nature is just waiting outside your door, waiting so that, so that it can stalk you down and kill you. If there's anything I've learned from this movie, it is that I should not leave my house. Yeah. Because there is something from nature just waiting to murder. Me. And that's what you should also take from the Batman animated series, because poison ivy is always looking to kill you. God, yeah. Oh, I would expect nothing less. Exactly. From that villain. How dare she? How dare she? So that's pretty much the African Queen. I don't think we have much more to say about it. No, I think we, I think we kind of hit everything. I did want, I did want again uh, do a shout out, shout out to the director John Houston for taking the taking the time and the guts to um, to take the color cameras out there because they were bulkier than the black and white ones. And I, I was reading um, the Wikipedia article about this. Most of our research, when we say research, means Wikipedia, by the way, people. Um, <laughs> it, it, the boiler on the African Queen wasn't bolted down because they would move it out for shots, like, on the boat. Huh. So, um, so at one point, it nearly crushed Hepburn. It nearly fell over and crushed her. You know, so they... Wow. And also, they had a lot of, a lot of um, problems on the shoot because everybody was drinking the water and then getting sick. Oh. Yeah, that could be bad. The only person who didn't get sick was Bogart, and he swears it was because, or he swore it was because he, like, took a whole case full of whiskey and drank only that. <laughs> so, 
maybe Charlie Allnut was not too far from probably actual not Humphrey Bogart personality. I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and again, this is the movie that won him his Academy Award. So I think I honestly think Casablanca and The Maltese Falcon. And, just to mention, two of his other movies were much better roles in, in general. The stories were more engaging to me. Um, yeah, this this movie had some some problems with engaging, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, it, I mean, the the lazy pace of the river meant that the the movie in and its in and of itself had a very lazy pace to it. Um, so it it was kind of hard to watch its spots. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. Let's all go right. ahead and talk about it. Yeah, uh, what's um, What's your final assessment? of okay, the fi- African Queen. Final assessment of the African Queen. There were a lot of fun things about the film. Um, the just the adventure of going down the river was pretty cool. I really did enjoy the character of Charlie Allnut. Um, that was probably it, character wise, that I enjoyed. Well, fifty percent <laughs> of the cast. That's not too <laughs> yeah, bad. Exactly. Um, the I thought the cinematography was pretty well done. The score was aptly done. Um, the effects were aptly done. I mean, everything was well executed. And the acting was solid, and I really liked Humphrey Bogart. But at the same time, there wasn't too much that was all that engaging with it. You know, it's, it's kind of like, like lazily going down a river. The movie is kind of the same type of pacing. And then you just get things here and there like, oh, rapids or, oh, crocodiles or whatever. Um, interesting enough, the story's kind of tired. It's It's been done a lot. Um, therefore, I, I'm just going to give it two stars. Yeah. Not terrible, but I, I was kind of indifferent about the film. I, uh, so I wanted to like it a lot more than I actually did. Um, I think I, th- I sit down and I, I see... A film with such a caliber of a cast and, and producti- production team and the director and everything. And I'm like, I'm going to like this movie. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I thought based on that it was going to be killer. Yeah, and the pacing killed it. Um, my immediate problems with the the religious aspects of the movie killed it. Um, and I, I think, honestly, as, as someone... I, I, I'm a little bit more hypersensitive to that kind of thing. Because... I hate that kind of portrayal. So, so that to me, it was it was something that killed the movie for me really right off the bat. Um, and then and then I just had a hard time getting into the characters, uh, especially Rose. Um, Charlie was okay, except that he was really weak willed and didn't really stand up for anything in the movie, even until the very end. Um, he was just willing to do whatever, even if it meant letting the Germans kill him. He was like, yeah, yeah, they're going to kill me. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's not really enough to, to really recommend this movie, except that it is considered to be a classic. Um, so if you're into classic movies, watch it once and mark it off your list and then you're good. Um, really, honestly, I can't give it better than two stars either. Okay. So two stars overall two for stars this overall. podcast. Yeah. Not terrible. We've had a lot worse. So uh, much worse. They they fared okay yeah. for what they put out. Mm-hmm. Well, Chuck, thanks very much for suggesting the African Queen. Um, I hope the conversation was interesting and went places you might not have been expecting. And so. you too, out there, listeners, can send in requests for movies for us to do. Good, bad, in between. 
any genre, whatever. If you want, if you just want to send us like horrible movies so that you can laugh at us while we we talk about how we suffered, then <laughs> sure, <laughs> that would be fantastic. If you want to send us great movies that have changed your life, we would love to hear about those too. And we'd like to share that experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's our email address for, for such purposes? It's at mostexcellentmovienight at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, mostexcellentmovienight.com, and there's a, a feedback form that you can go ahead and, and just send us messages directly that way. Um, and we're also on iTunes and Stitcher. iTunes, yep. Are we on are Stitcher? We on Stitcher? I, I can't remember if we are or not. I think so. I think we might be. I'll have to double check. If not, just put us on there. Yeah. It's, it's we, we, we've got more than enough episodes to, to keep Stitcher happy. Yeah. So, anyway. We've got enough episodes to rule the world. Yeah! <laughs> so, anyway. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production. 